The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. I'm Zach Childs, and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Steve Warner. Hey, Zach. Glad to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Yes. Well, thank you for letting us into your home. Well, my pleasure. Yes. Steve is a four-time Grammy winner. He's had 14 number one songs that have raced up the charts. He's a member of the Grand Ole Opry, and he is a CGP. Now, if you don't know what a CGP is, it's a title that Chet Atkins bestowed upon himself and a couple of his you know, super picking friends, stands for Certified Guitar Player, and Steve is one among Tommy Emanuel, the late Jerry Reed, and John Knowles. John Knowles, correct. Yes. Paul Yandel, too, after he yes. was, after Chet was gone, you know, they, mm -hmm. Chet's daughter. He kind of, Chet, Paul Yandel was, along with Chet, kind of started that CGP thing, so yeah. I think Merle found it fitting that he kind of, recused himself at the time, so she said, you know, he needs to be a CGP, and rightfully so, you and, know. And it was nice that that was able to happen before he passed. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm so proud of that, that Merle did yeah. that. And besides being, of course, a singer and excellent guitar player, a songwriter of note, written many of his own songs, and then written hits for Garth Brooks, and Keith Urban, and Clint Black. So again, Thank you for uh, thank you for letting us into your home. Well, my pleasure. My, I won't be able to get out. My head's going to be so big after that intro. But thank you. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about about your dad. Tell me about your, your dad. Was a multi instrumentalist, and tell us about the influence that he had on your life. Well, you know, major, major. I mean, that's why I'm doing what I do. You know, why I uh, he my dad uh, was gave me the gift of music really because he. He, you know, he had a band when I was a very young kid. You know, my dad, my dad would practice at our house with his band. He had a regular job, a real job, you know. But, yeah. but they would practice a night, or maybe a night a week, usually. Uh, you know, and I remember they would set up in our living room. Drums would come in and bass amps, and I loved it. You know, Push, and, pushing the furniture. Oh yeah, back we and, must move this. Help me move this couch. Yeah. You know, let's. Then <laughs> they would set up, and that was pre-Beatles. I mean, that was early '60s. You know, yeah. and. I was a little kid, and I remember just flipped out over that. You know, here comes yeah. a set of drums and the bass player. This was pre-Beatles, but I remember my dad's bass player had real long hair, and I'm like, I've never seen that before, wow. you know. Yeah. Uh, of course, a few years later, the whole world would have hair like that, but yeah. uh, I just remember being so impressed and loved what, what they were doing. I thought every kid's childhood was like that, really, for a long time. And my dad was one of 12 kids... Uh, his family, and they all played music. Every, my, all my uncles, my aunts, my aunts all sang great and very musical family. Wow. My dad's brothers would all uh, play. Uh, they had different styles. Like he had one brother, Lowell, that was, it was bluegrass or nothing, you know. Don't, don't play me anything else but bluegrass. <laughs> what is it about bluegrass I know, that's so hardcore? I, I mean, he was hardcore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, he may have had a, uh, a Jimmy Martin for president bumper sticker. I don't oh. know, but... But he was hard, and I loved it, you know. Uh, he always loved my fiddlers. I had some good fiddlers in my band through the years, yeah. and he always, he would come around and want yeah. to hear my fiddlers. What, yeah. can you play so-and-so? You know, he'd yeah. test them, you know. Right. 
And, uh, but anyway, my, then another brother, my dad's was a military Navy officer, 30 year mm-hmm. Navy officer. And he would come home from leave. He was in the, he was in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and uh, he was in like a bunch of major things. And wow. and uh, he uh, would come home on leave occasionally, and he'd he'd pull out a harmonica, one of those big harmonicas with the chromatic, yeah. you know, like the harmonic hats, and would just right. wear it out. And I was like a little kid. I was like, man, I didn't know you could get that much stuff out of a harmonica. But he was yeah. tremendous. My dad played great harmonica, but my dad was a he, my dad was a fiddler, you know, more, an old-time fiddler, really. But he also, when he was younger, he was a he was a front man of the band he was played in. They played VFWs, American Legions, and mm-hmm. and so it wasn't long till I worked my way into that band and was playing. I knew all their songs yeah. from practice. I knew it. I was really practicing with them, you know. They they yeah. didn't know it, but I was. Sure. I learned every. I was soaking it up, and I knew everything they were doing. Yeah, playing off to the side. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a little Dan Electro bass, short scale little yeah. bass, copper color, and I would be in the bedroom through the wall playing along with him, you know. And, uh, <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, I was playing right with him, and then when the time come for the coach to put me in, I was like, yep, I'm ready. So yeah. and I went in and, and played, and uh, so that was at a real young age. I started yeah. playing out with my dad, and uh, he was really, my dad was really talented, a real patient man, and and would teach me stuff on guitar, and he and, uh, you know, I wish I could have been half that patient. You know, I just, uh, with my, you know, with my boys when they were a little smaller, you know, but my dad was really good. He was such natural ability, you know, musical yeah. talent, you know, when and a great was- singer, really good singer. Yeah. I think he he looked up and had a house full of kids before he realized it, I think, and, and how that happened. And yeah. I think he could have been here making records. I truly mean that. I mean, I'm certainly biased, but I think he could have been here along with any of them making records in the 60s. You know, he was so such a good singer. And he continued to perform and teach till late in life. He did. He taught He taught up until his death. I mean, practically, he, he was still had students. He had a really bad stroke uh, several years ago, and he I loved it. The doctors made him uh, cut back from, like, 20 students to 30 students to... He told me one day he could... He's, he he was feeling better, and he goes, the doctors are making me, he said, they made me cut my students down to 15, and he goes, but I still got 18, you know, he was he, he was sneaking in a few, right. he was so proud of that, you yeah. know, so, but yeah, he was a great teacher and real patient, and he would have recitals sometimes, and I would see their recitals, and he, he had little, little guys playing fiddle, and he'd have mm-hmm. guitar students, he taught it all by tab, mostly, yeah. you know, and uh, but yeah, it was great. He was so proud of all of his kids. He loved having those recitals and having them all show off for their parents and friends, yeah. you know. So I learned a lot from him, though, man. He was just incredible. I think what he taught me more than anything was just the love of music and the love of all the different, you know, when records would come on or radio, he would say, now that's that's so-and-so, and that's Ralph Mooney playing steel, and that's, mm. you know, that's Don Rich there. Yeah. That, that's you know that's uh, whatever, but teaching an appreciation for those those oh, great styles. I would, yeah, that playing on no question. Records. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Now that's uh, I'd listen to a Leuven Brothers record early mm-hmm. on, and I'd go, he'd go. Now that's you think that's Chet playing that, but that's Paul Yandel playing on right. that record. That's not. It sounds like Chet, but yeah. he would distinguish. You know who was what, and I knew. But wow. time I was like twelve, I knew every yeah. every country certainly in the country i knew yeah. everything about everything you know and yeah. my dad had a great 
or I thought I did anyway, but he had a great record collection too. And I would, I was inspired certainly by that. He had a lot of Chet Atkins records, which mm -hmm. would come in handy later. You right. know, so. so you went on, uh, you, of course you're playing with your dad, then you start playing, you know, your, your own, your own gigs. And then, then you, uh, then you get picked up by Dottie West <laughs> and she sees you, you know, she ends up uh, kind of getting up on stage with you and you, you know, perform with her. And then all of a sudden they need a bass player and, and you get you get sucked into the world of, of you know big time touring country music. I was playing at a club called the Nashville Country Club. It was right near in the shadow of the Indianapolis 500. Okay. Basically, it was right there on the on the west side of Indy, about 30 miles from where I lived. We lived in a little town about 20 miles from where I lived. Noblesville. Yeah, Noblesville, yeah. and I would I would drive down there during my you know sophomore, junior, senior years. I would be down there as much as I could. And still try to go to school a little bit, you know. And <laughs> I missed a few Fridays, but yeah. but my friends were playing this club. Their sister and her husband owned the owned this club, and and uh, we were the Youngs, Daryl and Larry Young, and two brothers, and they had a band. And I'd go down there and play a lot. And their their brother and sister start who owned the place. They started booking some national country acts through there, and uh, a couple times a year, you know. And so. One day they called and said, we have Dottie West coming in. Mm -hmm. And actually, Paul Franklin was playing steel with Dottie at the time. So I knew that. Wow. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'd heard about him and I knew mm -hmm. of Paul. And so I go, well, I'm going to go down. I'm definitely there. So by the time I got there, though, Paul had moved on to another gig. And, but still, I, was, I got up and played with my friends. And I heard this female voice. And she had not done her show yet, Dottie. And so I heard this female voice, knowing there's no girls in the band. So I look over, and Dottie West had come out. She was back in the back listening. She came out and uh, was singing harmony with me. And I was like, uh-oh, I was 17. <laughs> I go, uh-oh. Yeah. And she, she uh, said, do something else. And I think we did Together Again. And yeah. we did three or four songs. The whole place, everybody in this whole place got up from their tables and came down to the, had gathered all around the front. Right. And uh, it was the, like. The, the big star <coughs> came down and singing with the local the band. local boy does good, yeah. you know. And yeah. So I was, uh, it's a real surreal moment. And so after that, she said, uh, I want you to play on my show. And I go, I don't know your show. She goes, play acoustic guitar. You, That's okay. Yeah. You don't need to know it. Yeah. So I played guitar in her show. And uh, after that, she took, you know, she took me out on the bus with her whole band. Her husband, Byron, Later became her husband. He was the drummer and, the, and band leader, and they offered me a job. And she goes, "Can you leave in a, like a week or so?" And I go, "I'm a senior in high school. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm a, it's not even our semester break yet. You know, so yeah. so I worked it out with my school. I went to my school. One, my my guidance counselor said, "Work it out with the school. If you go around to all the classes, teachers, if they'll let you take your midterm stuff early, then you can graduate early." And my grades are okay, you know. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I went around to all my teachers, and that one teacher gave me trouble, you know, but I won't mention his name, Mr. Duncan. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he gave me some trouble. Uh, so anyway, I took my classes, and, and uh, I just, in his class, uh, and he was right, I know, but I had to take a half a credit, uh, half a credit of government for the next semester that I, was mandatory, and so I had right. to... I had to kind of do a on the road, doing my lessons on the road for a half a credit. It was like painful, man. <laughs> Bust, busting oh, a book open on the bus. bus is like, uh, we're going to <laughs> Reno, Nevada. You know, oh my God. So I made it though. I did graduate. I always tell young 
people, you know, man, graduate, go to school, go to college, do it all, you know. Yeah. I, I did get my diploma. I didn't go to college. I kind of missed that. I wish I had, but I went to the Dottie West, Bob Lumen, Chad Atkins School of Music, I figure. So, you <laughs> know. a great school to graduate <laughs> I from. I think it is. So how did you meet Chad? I met Chad Atkins with Dottie West. We did a tour early on in her, with my stint with Dottie. Uh, you have to remember, I'd never been out of Kentucky and Indiana, practically. That's, and yeah. Tennessee, and just had moved to Tennessee. But, and so it was a tour that she was doing. It was called the Cavalcade of Stars. And it was an RCA, all RCA acts. Mm -hmm. Well, I was thrilled because the last leg of the tour, Chet Atkins was the headliner and the had really was the head of the label still, kind of change in power. But right. And I was like so thrilled because Chet Atkins, are you kidding? I'm mm -hmm. going to be on the same stage. And I was thrilled too because our band was backing Bobby Bear and Jim Ed Brown uh, and Dottie, of course. We were the kind of, they took one band and... We went all over. I'd never even been on an airplane ever, and here I am going to London, you know. And, yeah. Uh, so that was pretty exciting. And uh, uh, But I, we met, I, I remember the first night we played with Chet part of the concert was in at Wembley in, in London. And I, I walked down to the locker room at Wembley, and there's Chet Atkins, and I walked up. He had, Henry Sterlecki was touring with him playing bass, and some session guys, you know, and so mm -hmm. I walked up to Chad and introduced myself. He had the worst cold I've ever seen anyone have, and I did too. It was 73. It was a terrible oil crisis in, in Great Britain, and there, there was no heat to be found anywhere uh -huh. in that whole country. And uh, so so we were both going, nice to meet you, you yeah. know. <laughs> what? But yeah. that's the first time I met him, and I'm surprised. He said he remembered, but I doubt, I mean, I'm surprised if he did. I was just a scrawny little kid playing bass for Dottie West who was in awe, you know. And yeah. But uh, so that was the first time I met him. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I guess you could fast forward to several years now. I'm three years with Dottie West I played, and then I played with Bob Lumen for a couple years. And I really got off the road to be a writer. I signed, I'd signed with the Dottie West Publishing Company, which was administered by Combine Music, which uh, which they had Chris Christopherson and I mean some wow. powerhouse writers, yeah. and uh, I'd signed over there and and I got off the road. I was just we three, but that time we were touring like two hundred plus days a year. We were all gone all the time, and right. so um, I got off the road and lo and behold, I'm at the Opry one night and. Uh, and Bob Lumen, who we'd done shows with, I knew some of his guys in his band. He comes running up to me, and we had been off the road about three weeks. And he goes, I need you to go to Texas with me tonight. We're going to Houston and blah, 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 two or three dates just for the weekend. And I go, well, Bob, I just got off the road. And he goes, well, no, I want you. Dude, just get me, you know, bail me out. So I go with him on this little short run, and I wound up staying a year and a half, two years. Right. I just loved him. He was so yeah. great, Bob Lumen, and cool band, and always had great bands. Uh, but anyway, I stayed with Bob toward the end of uh, the time that I was with him. He became very ill and had to have an operation, and he made a comeback of sorts. And uh, he was going to do a comeback album, and he wanted his band to play on it. And and uh, his neighbor, who was Johnny Cash, who lived he lived here. Bob lived Bob lived here. Johnny Cash lived here in Roy Orbison. Lived yeah, there in three in Hendersonville, right. Caudill yeah. Drive. So he said, "Well, Johnny, my neighbor Johnny Cash is going to produce this album." So, 
uh, wound up that it was going to be an it was an album for Polydor or Columbia maybe I can't remember but it was called Alive and Well. Okay. Ironically, it was his next to last album he did, but he died at 42. But uh, we're in the studio and he's heard some of my songs and I'd never had a cut yet at this point. I'd never had a record you know cut as a writer, but I was right. writing a lot. So Bob had heard some of my songs on the road and he Bob said. Uh, I want to do some of your songs. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And so I go into the studio in 1976, Johnny Cash was in the control room and he goes, do that song for John. And so I take Johnny, I take the guitar, Cash's guitar that's Martin that's sitting there and I kneel on my knee and I play, got to have room to change my mind. And Cash is standing here and Bob's here. And I'm thinking they're going to shoot this damn, Bob <laughs> likes it, but I don't know if Johnny yeah. does. And so Johnny in his voice, he goes, I love it. Let's cut it. And I went, I just got my first cut, you know. <laughs> and affirmation and, uh, from Johnny From Johnny Cash. Cash. And so then we did that four times. He says, do that other. So yeah. I did a labor of love and I sang that and he goes, I love it. Yeah. So we, anyway, long story, we cut four songs that day of mine. And we were there all afternoon at the two o'clock session. The, the uh, Larry London played drums. Uh, Paul Yandel played guitar. And then the rest was Bob's band. Mm -hmm. uh, and... At two o'clock, there was acoustic guitar player coming in. It was Waylon Jennings. <laughs> he played acoustic, on, and I played bass. I'm sitting across from Waylon, watching him, going, "Damn, you know, yeah. this is a pretty neat day." And and this was a time period where those guys were were kind of, you know, they they were pretty wild at this point. Yep, yeah. I think you could use kind of, or yeah. you could not use kind of. Yes. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that was a uh, unbelievable time, and so we cut four of my songs, and then. That was a lottery day for me in a lot of ways because at, at the end of the one of the breaks later in the day, uh, Paul Yandel came over to me, who was Chet's right-hand guy for right. many years. He came to me and he said, you know, I liked your tunes that you cut. All those yours? I go, yeah, I wrote those. And he goes, give me a tape. He said, I think Chet would really like to hear those or some of your writing. And so I got a tape together uh, for Paul to take to Chet, and then that's how I hooked up. With Chet. This is a true story, too. My brother, Kenny, always messes with me. He'd call me and he'd go, yeah, this is Merle Haggard. Is Steve around? And I'd go, shut up, man, you know. Or he'd say, this is so-and-so. Yeah. And act like he was somebody else. Well, Chet called me from Paul giving him the tape. And it was, and he goes, Steve, this is Chet Atkins. I go, shut up, Kenny, you know. And it really was. <laughs> That's a true story. And I, yeah. Chet was dying laughing. He thought yeah. that was so funny. And I yeah. go, oh, it is Chet, you know. And so he, so then we... He said, I heard your songs. I'd like to, when you're back down this way, I'd like to meet with you and hear some stuff. And so long story, he took me into, it led to him coming into Studio B. He took me into Studio B and we cut some stuff. And uh, I walked into Studio B one other time. I'll back up a little bit. He he asked me to meet him at Studio B. He was working on a project and, and he said, meet me at two o'clock. I'm going to be at Studio B. So I walk in and I see through the glass, Jerry Reed is out there and it's Chet and Jerry Reed. I'm like, oh my God, you know. Yeah, two of the oh, you know, yeah. greatest it's guitar like players on the planet. Serious, you know. And so so he, Jerry comes in and he goes, Jerry, Steve Warner is uh, Steve, Jerry Reed. And so Chet goes, Chet, do that song I'm already taking for, Chet had heard, he always, he loved that song I'm already taking that I wrote. <clears throat> and uh, so I played I'm already taken for Jerry and Chet again. Well, Jerry hadn't heard it. And so when I got done, Jerry just looked at, he knew I was trying to get a record deal, you know, mm -hmm. working on it. And Jerry, I'll never forget, he goes, he just looks at Chet and he goes, damn, Chester, sign this boy. What do you want? Freaking blood? 
<laughs> he didn't say freaking, but you know. yeah. But uh, it was so good. And Jerry and I later became like great friends, and yeah. we always laughed about that. He, in fact, he's been in this studio a ton at my house here. Yeah. And last two projects he did, we did here, and had Reggie out and some great players, Greg Morrow. And yeah. tell us a bit about you know what were some of the things you learned from Chet. Um. Yeah, I learned so much from him, not only about music, you know, I learned yeah. a lot about uh, life and how you treat people. I think that's yeah. some of the big lessons, you know, but uh, I was around Chet in some really low times and some really great times, you know, health problems that he had. And right. so I watched how he navigated through some of that and yeah. with always grace and class, you know. So, yeah, I learned a lot of those kind of lessons from him. And I saw a lot of parallels. My family was all from Appalachia and, mm -hmm. you know, my, through the Depression, my dad certainly, Depression era. So we had a lot of stuff in common. I think that's what he picked up on a lot of that. My upbringing was probably similar to his in a lot of ways, just a different era, you know. But, uh, but I learned a lot musically, you know, a lot watching him making a record. You know, I watched him. I always kind of stole from him. Uh, not only playing, but wise, but watching him, how he got along with players in the studio, how he treated people. He really didn't micromanage at all. Anything, no. nothing like they make records now. So, totally micromanaged every yeah. detail now. <laughs> telling you him know. exactly what to yeah, play. Yeah, telling people so, what to play. He just brought in the best players in the world and he sat in the back and let them, he, took, he walked out. I always said it was like Pied Piper. He would come yeah. out. My first few sessions, he would come in of course, my first thing that I was knocked out with in those days, he had a suit and tie on, you know, mm -hmm. head of RCA. He would come out and everybody would get up from their posts and follow him like Pied Piper to the piano. He would hand out charts and talk about, they would gather around him. They'd be at his feet. They would be listening, making notes. He would be going through song by song. I want this to be like this. I want this. Here's my vision on this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, he's going to, Steve's going to play a solo on this you know, later, so leave that blank, we're going to blah, blah, blah. And then the players would, and then you fast forward, I was on one of, probably, no, I was on Chet's last session they ever played on, I think. I was on that session, and it was, the, all the players didn't even, you know, it was totally the opposite of that. Chet walked out in the room, and they were so busy doing stuff, they didn't even realize he had walked in, you know. Yeah. And just the difference in the time, you know. Uh, and uh, But, yeah, I learned uh, a lot about making records and space, space on a record. You know, that's something that's rare nowadays right. is actually some space or, you know, not much going on. Yeah, there, there tends to be a, every every little spot is filled with something. I got There's, a bunch of tracks. Let's put some on here. Yeah. Come on. You know, I got I got some empty yeah. tracks. Come on. Mm -hmm. It's endless now, you know, tracks. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was great about casting. You know, Chet was like, you know, maybe we should put... Uh, you know, a flute or maybe a xylophone or something. Mm -hmm. You know, he was he he knew just what to put. Uh, it makes me think of Reggie a lot. I see a lot of Reggie Young uh, parallels with Chet. You know, a lot of times with Chet, it's not what he put on it; it's what he didn't put on it, or where he where with Reggie too. It's not where he did the lick; it's where he he didn't play there and he let someone else do it. Or he made with Chet. You know, Reggie may play five licks but they're in the most perfect place that no. could be you knew right where to put it you know so and i think that's experience and just knowing how to make records you know and yeah. so a lot of times i'll do that too i'll just try to get players in a room and 
let them perform, you know, a real performance and, and capture a performance and let them actually play. And then if it gets, if it's going down a road where it's too, too far away from my vision, then I'll step in. But otherwise, just let those great players do what they do, you know. Yeah. So you're, you're signed and, our, and uh, Chet is, is producing you. And at the time, you, you kind of have singers, you have songwriters, and you have instrumentalists. <laughs> so you were all three of those things, which was, you know, somewhat unusual. So, I mean, I guess you kind of had Glenn Campbell, maybe Jerry Reed, and, and maybe just a handful of others that, that had done that. Was it hard to uh, to be respected as all three to to, to kind of get respected? No as, as question. A That's yeah. a great question, and there's no question about it. Nobody even knew I was all three. You know, yeah. I knew it, but no. Chet yeah. knew it probably. He realized yeah. it. He took me in Studio B, and he said, "Do a couple of songs." And then he said, uh, "He said I got a couple of tracks here," or he said it a couple of days prior. But he, it was some outtakes. He said, "Learn a couple of these that the keys fit you and." They were just, you know, no songs you ever heard of. They were publisher demos, really. So I sang those in the studio. Then he said, well, I hear you play guitar. Play some, play one of my songs. And I went, oh, you know, and I think <laughs> I don't even know what I played. But I do remember playing Mahogany. Remember that song? Yes. Do you know? It was, I had yeah. a classical guitar. Yeah. And I played a classical arrangement that I'd worked up mm -hmm. with that. And he, I, I think he liked that. It was very, it wasn't Chettish, but it was very classical. Yeah. And then... You know, without being egotistical, I wanted to go to people and say, man, you know, I'm a guitar player, too. I'm, right. you know, I need to play on my own records, you know. Yeah. Chet knew that, but like I say, he always let me, when he was producing, he let me play. He wanted me to play. He pushed me. He even made me play piano on a record. And I go, Chet, I don't even play piano, you know. <laughs> I was at his house, and he had yeah. a whirly, and he goes, play a little whirly part right there in that second verse. Yeah. I go, well... You better give me 30 minutes to work it up, you know, because I don't, yeah. I really don't play. I hear it, but I don't, yeah. I'd have to find it, you know. And he, Chet's like, oh, you can do it, you know. But then I went with some other producers after Chet, and they were like, they would bring in studio guys, and they would play the solos. And I'm sitting there thinking, I need to be really playing on my own records, you know. Right. And then Paul Yandel, one of my dear friends who's playing on a record one day, he told the producer, he said, man... He goes, I can play this solo, but he goes, you got to have Steve play it. He gets, he goes, Do you, have you heard him play guitar? And the producer goes, well, okay, what would you play? And I played Paul's guitar, and I, the, and I played the solo, and that was on the record. And from then on, I played. But Paul kind of cut his own throat, so to speak, because I don't know that he played on any more of my records for a long time, you know, because right. I, I was doing it, you know. So, But that was really big of him to... Yeah. to do that you know he said he needs to be playing on his own okay. and he said it right in front of everybody too yeah he said this guy needs to play on his own records man he kind of sacrificed himself <laughs> he did yeah So it's kind of taken taken for granted at this point that that somewhat the Telecaster is kind of the country guitar, but that was not always the case. No, not so, at all. So when when you when you uh, arrived in Nashville, you know who were kind of the hot players and what were what instruments and sounds were being used. Well, for me, it was all about uh, just a handful of people. You know, it was all about yeah. 
I, you have to remember that I Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour was smoking yes. right through that period when I was yeah. here. Uh, so I used to watch that show and just go, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to do right there. Because, yeah. you know, I, you knew Glenn was – he was a quadruple threat. He did everything well. Yes. And, and uh, I never met him, you know, until I was here. But, but – uh, I did go to the 1971, I believe it was, I went to, I believe that was my sophomore year, I went to the Indiana State Fair, and it was Glenn Campbell uh, at the height of his TV show yeah. at the State Fair, and I had about center row, and I was about 10 seats back center row, right in front of the stage, and he, uh, his opening act was Jerry Reed. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, good Lord. Yes. You know? And Jerry came out and just killed it. He had Paul Yandel playing with him. He mm -hmm. had Larry London and he had Steve Schaefer. Wow. That was his trio and Jerry yeah. Reed. And uh, Steve Schaefer, great bass player. And then Glenn came out and, of course, knocked it out of the park, too. And yeah. so that day was big for me. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, as soon as I can get to Nashville, you know, I'm, I'll be yeah. there. I knew I wanted to play. I thought I wanted to make records and be a singer. That was kind of in my mind, but I, you know, I wasn't sure. I really, honestly, the bands I played in, I never was a singer. I was always a guitar player. Yeah. Some of the later bands I played in, in Indiana, they would truly, they would say, "We can't get through four or five sets a night unless you sing a few songs." I go, right. oh, "Okay, I'll learn some," yeah. you know. And I learned four or five songs and six, seven songs, and got us through, just to. Yeah. For the team, you know, right. to try to be. Yeah. So I was this. I sang. The, I sang a few songs just to help out, and and the more I did it, the more kind of attention I would get. And a cute girl would maybe like my singing. I go. I think I'll learn another song yeah. or two. <laughs> kind of motivates you. Yeah. yeah, that might be some yeah. good motivation. So, yeah. so I started singing more, and and uh, you know, by the time I got to Nashville, I was I was Dottie West's bass player because right. she needed a bass player. Yeah. She had a really good guitar player in the band, and. They asked me, would you want to join the band as a bass player? And I go, yeah. yeah. That gets me to Nashville. And yeah. that's a really good band. And Dottie's awesome. I loved her. Yeah. And then Bob Lumen needed a bass player. He had a great guitar player already. So yeah. I go, yep, I can do that. And, and Chad Atkins' band, they had a pretty good couple of guitar players in that band. Right. Chad and Paul Yandel. So yeah. I go, yeah, I'll play bass. I'll play you know? bass. And I went around the world with Chad, you know, playing bass. And, and you know, we did a couple you know, literally trips around the world, tours, and that took me to places I'd never even dreamed of playing, you know, Paris yeah. and London and Amsterdam and, you know, all around the world, and that was awesome, you know, for yeah. a country kid, you know, never been anywhere, you know, so. Yeah. It was a, Chet put me in a couple play. you know, he took me to a whole nother level, really, playing, and he featured me. He always wanted me to Get out there and sing some. Take yeah. my guitar. He give me his Gretsch. I was ready. I was used to tellies and stuff, but yeah. I'd play his Gretsch and do a couple songs. And but you're right in the fact that it was telly world uh, when I came here, and that's what I was was a telly player because yeah. of James Burton. Yeah. Because I used to watch as a young kid. I'd watch Ozzy and Harriet, yeah. like everybody else. I was little, little, but I'd watch that show and I'd see James Burton uh, bending strings and playing. Yeah telly and i was like well i got to do that yeah. i want i'm a telly guy but was but was that the thing in nashville going on uh, it seemed like it <laughs> well was more it's more bakersfield you know yeah. more by the yeah. time i got here it was certainly yeah it was tellies here too a lot okay but it was a lot of tellies but it was they were it really emulated from california bakersfield and okay. don rich and so all those guys buck 
You know, yeah. a lot of people don't know how great a guitar player Buck was. Buck Owens yes. was a tremendous. You do, yeah. I know, but yeah. man, a lot of players. Don yeah. was great, but man, Buck was a really. Yeah. He was a session player, you know, right. out there, and so I was really, you know, I, I was really a telly guy playing bass, yeah. you know. So and, you, so you kind of gravitated to the telly early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with Bob Lumen, he had a guy in his band named Rip Wilson. R.I.P. Okay. Rip Wilson yeah. was his nickname, and he played with a bender. And uh, he played a telly with a B-bender. And that was my first time around yeah. one in person. I'd heard of him and seen him. Yeah. You know, That's uh, a really Clarence. early one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the mid-70s, like 75, yeah. 6. Yeah. And uh, I was intrigued by that. And I knew Bob Warford. I don't know if you know that yes. name. But Bob yeah. Warford was... Played with Linda Ronstad. Session yeah. guy out in California. Yeah. I think he's... I think he's a lawyer out there in California yes. still now, he but yeah. he played some wonderful B-Bender stuff that yeah. that was just unbelievable. Like Lynn Ronstadt, <clears throat> Dark End of the Street is a good example yes, of, of yes. B-Bender playing. Yeah. yeah, he'd do, you know. Yeah. You know, that kind of really... Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, those... Beautiful bends and and then Rip Wilson really I give him so much credit but yeah. but I've since then I've always had uh, B benders you know I, and I don't use them a lot I don't yeah I use them less now than I did a lot of my records when I first started having hits I was oh Midnight Fire I had yes. to, yeah I had to have a yeah. I was really uh, all over B bender stuff and I yeah. I would do a lot of my solos I would do with a B bender and I had mm -hmm. Joe Glazer make me a Couple well, at that time he made me a strat with a B bender right. on it, yeah. uh, and then he made me this one in the mid '80s, I think '84 or '5. He made this guitar for me, yeah. but and so it was always interesting when I would play. We go out to a club or something, and when I started having hits, bands would do my songs. They didn't know I was in the audience, but they would yeah. do. <clears throat> they were just doing the top songs on radio, and so they would do Midnight Fire, and I always loved it because I, I wanted to see what he's going to do when it comes right. to the solo. When, when the guitar player. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody had a B-bender, you right. know, hardly. Yeah. And so it was so interesting how they would navigate around that. See if they could, you know, somewhat pull it off. We played in Japan one time. I played in Kumamoto. It was a big festival in yeah. the southern part of Japan. and The country gold. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. We we played yeah. that, and it uh, was a great trip. And <clears throat> Charlie, who put the thing on, he had a nightclub downtown in Kumamoto. Kumamoto, I've, I've been there. You, I knew yeah, you'd been, been there. there. His, this club, uh, this town is about a million people. Mm -hmm. So we go to the club, and they're saying, like, we might... We might want you to play, get up and play, you know. So I go, oh, I don't know. It's late night. And yeah. So I go, I don't know. Uh, you want to get up and play? Well, I don't know, maybe. And I'm just enjoying listening to people play. And so I said, well, I would, but I don't. you don't have a guitar with a bender on it. Mm -hmm. And this young little Japanese kid who probably looked 14 years old, 15, he was, he'd been sitting near me watching me play. Oh, I mean, uh, when I did play, and told him I wanted a guitar. This little 14, 15-year-old kid, he appears out of nowhere, and he goes, here's one. I got a yeah. B-Bender. He had a Telecaster <laughs> B-Bender already, and he followed me around like a yeah. little puppy. And I got up on stage and played it, and he sat on the stage like five, like three feet from me, right. like this, and watching me play. Yes. It was his B-Bender. And I never dreamed that there'd be a B-Bender within 1,000 right. miles right. of me in, in Japan. In Japan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, I guess I'm playing. I, I was going to use that for an excuse, but I, yeah. okay, a B-Bender showed up. So, yeah. Was Midnight Fire kind of, you know, kind of your kind of uh, 
coming out party as far as a guitar player? Was that kind of one of the first singles where you really were featured? No, not really. I okay. did a song. My first, the earlier I spoke of Paul Yandel fighting for me to play on a record. It was yeah. the record was called Your Memory. Yes. And uh, it was my first top ten. It was in '79. Okay. okay. And uh, and I played a solo. I did a I did a. Now, Paul played all those parts, but then when yeah. solo, the solo part, you know, it's... Just simple melody, basically, yeah. you know, not go... I don't even remember the... Yeah. You know, but, but Paul was yeah. like, I love it that he was fighting for it. He needs right. to play it. So that was really the first yeah. that I played on. And then from then on, I was playing on most of everything. Yeah. But later on, you know, uh, I would, uh, I was smart enough though to later, I thought I was smart, but later on when I, but when I got to MCA was around the time, I'd use Reggie on a lot of stuff and Billy Walker yeah. Jr. on all the MCA stuff for sure. But Reggie played the Chet Atkins record all the stuff I did with Chet, Chet hired Reggie to play on that stuff. So from day one, I had Reggie on all my stuff. And I was smart enough by the time I got to MCA, my ego was to where I go, well, I don't need to play on everything. If there's something that presents itself that it's sounds like me, you know, I should play it. But yeah. <clears throat> otherwise, Reggie, you know, I'm not, I don't have to play on everything, I guess yeah. what I'm saying. So, and Billy Walker Jr., tremendous, yeah. and they Reggie. Yeah, you know, again, having Reggie, you know, play on a lot of your on a lot of your records. What are some of your favorite kind of Reggie moments on your own albums? Oh man, just just listening to him, you know, come up with the right tones, the right. He would be dialing in the chorus or the, you know, effects, whatever he wanted. But he would do those things too, where you do like on "You Can Dream of Me." I can't really do. The whole song. I mean, he would be yes. going like. You know, all those little yes. things, and you're like, man, that's so, so good. I, I called Reggie on the phone yesterday and <laughs> spoke with him, and that was one of the questions I had for him was just wanting to know about, I didn't know whether you had played the part or who had, who had come up with the part. And uh, Reggie was like, that's me. <laughs> and because I thought, you know, how brilliant to have a, you know, the, the fills on a verse to just be har the harmonics. Brilliant. And, and how cleanly he played oh, them. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. gonna tell you, there was, I remember cutting that record and there was no overdubs either. It wasn't like, oh, let me go back and grab eight or 10 of those. He did chimes all the way through, harmonics all the way through wow. the song, practically. And they're so clean. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing, too. I cut a record when I was producing myself later. I had Reggie playing on uh, this album, and he had his rack of gear, mm -hmm. when it, and it was awesome. He, had, he could dial it in, and he had a giant rack of stuff. Yeah. If he needed it, it was there. But I remember once we did a song, and it was a real... It was a real R&B, right down his gutter, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. to speak, you know. And man, Reggie was so great at everything. But that stuff, I think he shined. And Memphis came home on that, right? And he was play. He was playing this solo, and I and I remember telling the engineer, I said, "Oh my gosh, that tone is just 
what is he doing? And so I walked out, I literally walked out and I walked into his little booth area and I looked and I go, Reggie, what did you do different? Yeah. You know, it's just, it changed all of a sudden. He did, and he, Reggie just went and he pointed and what he did was he unplugged from his rack and plugged right into a Blackface Deluxe. That's it, not yeah. one pedal, not yeah. one anything. Yeah. And I just went, oh my gosh. Cause he was going Strat, for his, his old sound. Strat. Yeah. Deluxe. That was mm -hmm. it. And so right then, this was early on, right then I said, well, I know what I'm getting tomorrow. I'm going to yeah. find me a 65 Deluxe. <laughs> and I've got two of them, and that's all I've played ever since that day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nobody will. It's here. You know, it's not It's yeah. not there. And I always tell young people, they always say, what did you play on? It, mm -hmm. Jerry Reed was that way, too. Reed would say, uh, I just, it's wooden strings. Reed would say, wooden strings, son. I don't know. It's just yeah. wooden strings. But... That's what I tell people. I go, that's good that you emulate and you want to get stuff like so-and-so or play, but it's really, uh, most of it's here, you know, and yeah. no one can ever play like Reggie. But yeah. we were in a studio once at Emerald, or the backstage, <clears throat> front stage, I guess it would be called at the time, but uh, we were cutting some records and we had taken a break and everybody was in the lounge was talking about iconic intros to songs and turnarounds and so forth. And everybody was saying, who did that one? You know, and Reggie was over here watching TV, drinking a Coke or something. It wasn't even in the conversation. Somebody yeah. goes, well, I'll tell you one of my favorites is Drift Away. <laughs> and uh, somebody goes, yeah, me too. Hey, that's Reg. Was that, that was you, wasn't it, Reg? And he yeah. did, Reg, knew, he heard the conversation, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. He just goes, yeah. they go, Reg, Reg. He goes, yeah. And he goes, did you, that's you on, and he goes, yeah. It's like. I would have been in the conversation way earlier, you know. <laughs> but uh, he was this great, Reg, yeah. man. He's yeah. the best. Getting back to kind of the Telecaster thing, uh, you and Ricky Skaggs were kind of on the forefront of, of, you know, country artists that were also, you know, guitar players, and y'all were playing Telecasters and with B-Benders also. And it was really interesting when the two of y'all and Vince <laughs> recorded with Mark O'Connor yeah. and did Restless. Tell us about how that came about. Well, that came about through Mark. Mark O'Connor yeah. called and he told me about his idea. And Jim Ed Norman called too, and who I respect tremendously. Mark is a dear friend. He'd called me and I met Mark when he was about 14. Buddy Spiker introduced me to Mark. I and, bet he was already amazing. Oh, he was, <laughs> yeah. he was off the charts yeah. at 14. Yeah. You know, this tall, skinny kid. And yeah, I went out to Buddy Spiker's ranch. He did a bluegrass festival thing at that time and and spiker told me this he goes wait do you see this 14 year old kid named mark o'connor and i was like mm -hmm. okay and so he played and i went oh my god you know yeah. just otherworldly but anyway mark had, now fast forward mark was making records and mark called me one day and he says man i want to see if you would be involved in this project I, tell me all about it and i want to get you ricky and vince and i go yeah I'm, we were touring real heavy heavily then and i said yeah i'd love to do it and so so we went went down to Warner Brothers and cut it. And I remember Ricky and I were there together. Vince wasn't there. He did his parts later. And so Ricky and I worked up our stuff back and forth right. on the spot. Because the, there's the harmony. There's yeah, the, we, the back and forth, yeah. and then there's the harmony part. Yeah, so we worked yeah. up our the harmony stuff, you know, and the little back and forth. And then uh, Vince came in later, and then they already had the track cut, you know, and so we, we did those parts, and we sang our parts and left the space for Vince later. Yeah. I thought it was a great record. I, yeah. Carl yeah. Carl Perkins' song, you know. And, yeah. And then, you know, there was, uh, you all opened the, the CMA Awards, you know, that year. Yeah. And there was, yeah. it was a, it was 
quite a, a yep. extravaganza with all the all the pickers. He had, you know, the 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 band that played on it. Plus there was Albert Lee and <laughs> Earl Scruggs. It was and crazy. Bill yeah. Monroe and yeah, it was a free for all yeah. all star. Yeah. I remember we did it on. Uh, I was on Nashville now. I remember that show on TN, yeah. TNN, and I was on Nashville now. And Carl Perkins was on the show, and I did it with Carl Perkins, I believe, on that because he wrote it. And so this is just a little funny story on Carl. Uh, God rest his soul. He was I loved him. He was just the greatest. Mm. But he, we wound up. There was nobody. Everybody had gone. We were like the last ones there. Me and Carl, Karen was with me. Carl, my wife, Carol. Carl Perkins uh, and his son, his son had driven him up and then his son had taken off. Well, Carl went to get in his car and had locked, the car had locked and he didn't have a keys didn't for key. it. And so his son was already gone and it was like dark, no one around, yeah. all the TNN people were gone. It was yeah. just us and Carl Perkins. Yeah. And I said, well, he goes, I don't really know what to do. And I said, I know what you do, go home with me. Yeah. And you can spend the night or he lived in Jackson, Tennessee. Right. I said, well, if you want to go home with me, you more than welcome to spend the night or yeah. or I got an extra car or whatever. You take my car. Yeah. And he and he rode home with us. Carl Perkins rode home with us. And then my little I said, well, take my car. I had a Cadillac or something. And he goes, no, I'm not taking that. And he said, I, he said, what's that little truck? And I had a little like a little Nissan pickup mm-hmm. with a camper shell on it that I hauled stuff. He goes, I'll take that. And I go, no, you're not taking that. And Carl Perkins took off in my little pickup truck. He wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. He's going down my driveway in this little pickup truck. See, in a couple of days. And he took my truck home and came back like three, two or three days later wow. and brought it back. Somebody came with him. But how cool is that Carl Perkins drive? He <laughs> took my little truck home with him. And he was so cool. That was very cool. <laughs> So we we were just talking about <laughs> we were talking about Reggie and we were talking about stealing and and so this is this is really interesting. So you were playing some uh, some in, inversions and you were playing some triads up and down the neck. Yeah. Play, oh, Reggie. Play, play us some. I would sit. I I loved it because I would sit in the studio while they're getting their gear together, warming up. And yeah. Reggie would he'd have some beautiful delay and stuff. I don't have any effects, but he would play. He'd do those little triads. <laughs> You know, he... You know, just all different little inversions of yeah. triads that are spread, you know, differently than you would, would yeah. normally hear. And then he would start in on his harmonics, you know, the you know, all the stuff he would do the But I was saying, you know, I'm 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 no dummy. My yeah. my pop taught me well. I only steal from the best, man. You know, Jerry Reed, Chet, Reggie yeah. Young, Paul Yandel. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm a thief, man. You know, so. <laughs> play play that fun uh, hammer on kind of soulful hammer on thing that that Reggie does real quick that you played. Oh, earlier. you mean that? Oh, that yeah. yeah, he would do that. That that yes. He go he go. He do different yeah. ver- versions yeah. of it. I hope he sees this. He'll get a yeah. kick out of me stealing him blind, yeah. you know. And all the that Memphis yeah. stuff, you know, that real oh, R and B. It's just fantastic. tremendous. Yeah. yeah. 
And he'd use a volume pedal too. He was so good, you know, the, yeah. you know, all that volume Swell pedal stuff. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into, into your playing. So let's take a song. I don't have anything other than stealing. <laughs> <You don't have, laughs> okay. So, so one, one of probably your best known solos is, uh, is Linda. So oh, yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah. on Linda, like, you know, when, when you're, when you're attack, you know, deciding how you're going to, you know, kind of compose your solo, you know, are you thinking like scales? Are you thinking like a melody that you hummed up? Are you thinking the, just the chord tones? What are you thinking? And could you play a little bit of that? I know I'm, I might be no. putting you, you know, putting you out there, but would you play the, the solo by Absolutely. yourself? That, you know, get us into trouble or anything? Uh, not at all. Yeah. I'll tell you the, I will give credit where credit's due. Billy Walker Jr. Mm -hmm. came up with the, with the intro, you know, the, it's a, it's a drop D. Yeah. Billy Walker Jr., what a great, him yes. and Reggie together, that's right. like dream team, man. Yeah. But he, he did like, Reggie was playing stuff too. Yeah. But the solo, I remember I played it on my brother Terry, his 59 Strat. He uh -huh. had, a, uh, and that, I remember he let me borrow it, which he did often. I stole it from him many times and played on records. Yeah. But I played it through two, we were experimenting in the studio. I remember I played it through two little Fender sidekicks, if you remember those dinky, yeah. dinky yeah. little, and I did a stereo thing with two little Fender sidekicks with a, some kind yeah. of, a, I don't even think I used a pedal. I think they were my pedal, you know, yeah. but uh, a little compression probably. But the solo, I don't, I mean, I'm probably just trying to think of the, I remember I played the solo, uh, basically I played the solo out and then mm -hmm. I played some little licks throughout the rest yeah. of the song. But I remember, I, I, I remember just trying to weave around the melody a little bit. For some reason, I've, I at the last minute during when I was working it up, I thought, well, I could grab this open, the drop D and do a. Where did that come from? I don't know. It kind of yeah. just fell out during the, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, for the four shit. chord, it's kind of a. It's kind of a marriage of the finger picking, you know. You know what I mean? Right. It's a little marriage of the finger picking for a moment and then back yeah. to the. Uh, I let those strings ring too over the top of each other. It's a it's a really neat solo. You, know, you kind of have you know the you know kind of descending you know at the beginning, and then you know, where you really uh, you know kind of give it the uh, when it goes to the sixth minor, you really intone that. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I remember those sessions always had a lot of energy. You know, I never yeah. I might have took a couple runs at it, but basically I kind of worked it up on the spot. And yeah. you know, Tony Brown was usually him or Bowen. You know, were I think they co-produced that record together, you know, Tony Brown and Jimmy Bowen. Yeah. So they were great because they would just, you know, yeah, they, by that time, they were already going like, yeah, get out there and play it. Yeah. And I was kind of going like, 
at that point I was kind of, you know, I was kind of calling my own, like, hey, I want to play on this one, you know, and so yeah. they were great to let me, so. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell us about this guitar, how this, how this came about. So Glazer, you know, Joe Glazer, made a, a, a red strat for you that had like a tree of life inlay and had a b-bender on it yeah and, and it played. had a red my son ryan calls it the redhead because oh, it's got the matching, it's got the matching headstock yeah. you know and yeah. when he's a little boy ryan would say where's yeah. your redhead at dad he would call it, yeah. call it the redhead yeah but i love that guitar and i had yeah. a, a lady named diane patrick did the she was an artist yeah. and or is an artist in town but she did all the inlay designed that sw there's a little sw and and uh, Tree of Life, and so she designed that, and did, mm -hmm. that was not computer either, it was all hand done, right. every bit of it, <laughs> probably you, took, oh my yeah. God, I mean, yeah. I didn't pay her enough, I don't yeah. know what I paid her, but it wasn't enough, so, yeah. but anyway, that guitar, is, I love that guitar, but then this guitar came along, Joe made me this guitar. Yeah. So, did you, <clears throat> did you tell him that you wanted to tell him, I mean, what, you know, how did you know, this about? is a crazy story on this. Yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's nice that my band did this, but the band, yeah. my band got together with Joe Glazer behind. Joe used to come on the road with us really? and hang out. Yeah, he'd travel with us some. And, huh. and at that time, he would, you know, he'd get on the bus and make a trip every now and then to come to the Opry with me. And yeah. we were a lot closer then. We still are close, but I don't socialize, see him as much as I used to. But yeah. he used to come on the bus and ride with us sometimes. And But the band got with him, but unbeknownst to me and said hey as a present we're going to have you make steve a telecaster and that's where this came from well, otherwise i'd probably still be playing that strat yeah but they had him make this and then at some point he had to get me involved because what kind of neck do you want what kind of you mm -hmm. know so but i thought it's interesting this wood is so look at how pronounced that yes. stripe is yeah tiger the stripe and he made ricky skaggs purple tellies made from yeah they made out of the same wood and the same. They're like brothers and sisters. These two guitars. Yeah. His purple one and my red one. Yeah, because they're they're pretty <clears> much <throat> identical except for the the body. His being yeah. purple and yours being yours being red. I had a piece of tape over this for years, uh, for my belt buckle. And I went mm -hmm. in five or six years ago. I went in with Joe to work on this. And Joe he grabbed the tape and goes <laughs> and goes get that off there. He goes that's cool. You gotta yeah. you can't mess that up. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> where my belt buckle tore it up for all the years so yeah back Anyways. when you wore the big you know hubcap you know, yeah because you were a country star <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely had yeah. a mullet and the, yeah, you yeah. got to wear the uniform you're exactly right yeah so the the um, belt buckle the hubcap belt buckle i call it yeah but this guitar is interesting because joe as for people that may or may not know he this is a fine tuner you know mm -hmm. where you can uh adjust it to be a total whole tone drop on the B string, and then he also has a little place here that a little but, hole for the tension. You yeah. Know? So how hard you have to push that? I've not even touched that tension for. Yeah. I don't even know since the '80s, probably. Because yeah, if it feels right, yeah, you don't it's need right where I like it. And then the so. other one is just to keep keep it in tune. So he's yeah. made me another B bender a while back. He it's yeah. a it's actually on a Jeff Sin, you know, great guitar maker. Yes. Jeff Sin. We've interviewed him. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's a great guy. Uh, he made me a guitar. Jeff made me a telly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's his model Pomona. They call yeah. it, and it's a beautiful t little guitar telly yeah. type guitar. And I had Joe about two years ago. I said, Joe, would you put a B bender on this guitar for me? And he did, and it's brilliant guitar. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Sin makes some beautiful instruments. Yeah. Now I take that on the road. I take this and the Pomona, yeah. the Sin Pomona on the road. Definitely those two. So yeah. So. He this because yeah, this has kind of become kind of 
the instrument you're kind of known for playing. Yeah, I just always degree. play it. When I go yeah. play a, I did, uh, I am toying with some pickups. These are those uh, Ron Ellis uh, yeah. handmade these pickups for me, hand wired them. They're custom made for me for this guitar. Uh, and he is brilliant uh, pickup guy. He's in California. Yes. And uh, these have only been in this guitar for eight, six months or so. And I'm, mm -hmm. I love them. You know, they're really, they're what I wanted. I've, we yeah. worked on these a long time. To, and is that a five-way or three-way switch? Or? It's a, it's a five-way. Okay. Yeah. And normal kind of setup, like almost yeah. like a strat. Yeah, you know, it as is. As far as the wiring. Mm -hmm. and, the wiring's and, is typical. And a master volume, master tone. I did. I used to have a little toggle, teeny little toggle there. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to do this and that. I'm not sure yeah. what it ever did, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it was supposedly was yeah. originally. Well, I was told it was to keep if you're in lights, you know, it would make the lights be quiet, but make it be quieter. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it ever worked that much, but. When when Joe was asking you about specs or anything, did you give him any specs as far as like neck shape or anything like no, that? No, not that really. You wanted just you wanted maple. He showed or? me a few. Yeah, he he showed me. I knew the wood I wanted. He used, like I say, the same wood of uh, Ricky's purple one. So the, the necks look identical and feel identical. Yeah. I think they're just, I wanted a slight little V, but not a whole, you know, we kind of yeah. tweaked on the, the size of the, you know, the feel of the neck and so forth. And it's a little bit more narrower than a, I think it's a, I don't even know, like a quarter of an inch yeah. narrower. Than yeah, because there, there's some there's some telly bodies that there's kind of a standard thickness. Yeah. And then there's d different ears at, at times. This one is just a little bit narrower. Yeah. I wanted that too. Yeah. So. Did you have any input on the the single bound? No. That was, I was just something that I don't remember doing. if I did. I yeah. don't think so. I think Joe yeah. just did that. I think it's cool with that it's, single no, bound. It's a it's a really neat look. Yeah, it's a neat look. I yeah. think and. I think Ricky's has a single bound yeah, too. Yeah, single bound I think too. they're yeah. Yeah. I love his purple. It's so. Yeah. Whenever I've been with him, when he. He hasn't played it for so long, but whenever we yeah. were together, we would play. And I remember we would, I'd lay these things together and go, yeah. man, they're they look, they're, yeah. yeah, they're brothers. Yeah. Exactly. So, Would you let us hear each pickup, like go through oh, and, and kind of just, you know, let, yeah. let you know, because it's nice to be able to hear the guitar just you know, Absolutely. Through, through a deluxe reverb and hear, you know, the, hear the neck. and Like on, a, on my neck pickup, I'll do that for like a, and usually I have delay and stuff, but... Some kind right. of with yeah. western swing or something, yeah. or, or like. That's really a rich, fat yeah. sound that I like for that neck pickup. Yeah. I don't, I don't use. I'm, I'm either, I'm either. I don't go much other than neck pickup or all the way to the bridge and okay. one up, kind of the stratty. Yeah, it's so, a strat setup basically, yeah. and it really is stratish, you know. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really a. Yeah. 
Uh, so it makes it for a good stratish yeah. kind of. And the back pickup by the, itself. And that's, I think this is where the Ellis shines on that yeah. bridge pickup because it's it's really vintage telly even yeah. more than I've had before, be quite honest. But it's. <laughs> It's a spanky telly you know, it sound. It's a great sounding guitar. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the man, hands don't you. hurt though. <laughs> <laughs> these old things. <laughs> what what strings do you use? Like tens or nines? Uh, or? these are these are tens. Yeah, yeah. these are tens and they I love Diodario strings. I'm yeah. I know that's my commercial, but I love their strings, their products, period. Yeah. And uh, their strings are awesome. That's I don't I haven't used anything yeah. else for as long as I can remember. So they are, but are I they, use tens. Yeah. yeah. Are they the, the the kind of the regular tens, or are they the, like they have like this NYXL string? I use both sometimes. Yeah. My honestly, that's a good question because I see when I get boxes of strings when they send me stuff, I get both. And yeah. my guitar tech, uh, uh, I do see both uh, some uh, both yeah. cases. So I've, honestly, yeah. sometimes yeah. I'm not sure what I'm playing, but yeah. I do. I know both of those packs, you know. Yeah. And yeah. So, but I think they're just, I think basically just the normal tens, you know. Yeah. They do make some great stuff, though. They do. They're gut strings for my when I play, my acoustic strings, my yeah. gut strings, my I, on this solo stuff. I've been touring, doing some solo things out west. I just did come back and I played a lot of gut, you know, classic electric, and boy, mm -hmm. their strings are beautiful. They, I don't change them yeah. a lot on the gut string, but yeah. Yeah, blatant string plug for for Diodario. They 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 are yeah, great. Yeah, and, and I know Tom that was Spalding is, is, is uh, yeah, great. he's a great guy. Yeah. That's a blatant pitch, but I'm yeah. sincere about it, man. They're they're, yeah. they're great stuff. Yeah, they, they are. They are. You you had a long relationship with Takamini, and you had a signature model uh, acoustic. I there still for a while. do. It's still yeah. out there. Yeah, it's. They came to me with uh, a lot of those talk guys used to come around to our shows. I got to be friends with them, and mm -hmm. and I they would bring us. They were so kind. They would give us guitars. Hey, you guys want some yeah. guitars? Yeah, man. It's they gave us some cool guitars, and we played their stuff for a long time. Till eventually, at one point, they they talked about a mo signature model, and I said, "Well, yeah. I'd like it to be. If I did one, here's what I want." And so yeah. we kind of went around on what you know what it would be if I we did one and eventually it came to fruition and we had out a the Steve Warner model that and and I I like I thought it was a pretty guitar because it had yeah. or is a pretty guitar because it's got the you know, all the little inlay yeah, the abalone, abalone inlay around, around, it. around yeah. it and that was all my yeah. idea and uh really great workhorse guitars you know we banged yeah. those things around you know so yeah. and uh and I played I played them on records. I mean, I bring them in the studio too. It's not like I just use them for that. I mean, they, I bring them in. The, sometimes we used to bring them in and play them on records a lot. Still do sometimes, you know. So yeah, you know, I, I like using my old Martins and stuff too in the studio or yeah. old Gibsons. But it's nice to layer those in there too as a secondary or whatever. They make, they record well, and they're. I've always had a real good relationship with those guys, particularly David Vincent. Yeah. So Steve, what uh, you've got a deluxe reverb today, but is that kind of your preferred amp? It is. I've got two uh, two sixty five uh, 
Blackface Deluxes. Mm -hmm. This this one has the original speaker in it. Okay. Uh, the it's a Utah speaker, and yeah. then the other one has a is a Greenback Celestian Greenback speaker. Yeah. That's my favorite. The Road Amp is my bad boy. It's yeah. It's the one that's uh, and this is good too, but yeah. it's got the Utah. But uh, I also have I don't know if you can see it, but there's a Princeton right there. That's, yeah. That's my other uh, Desert Island guy right there. That has a hemp speaker in it. Okay. And it's that is uh, Todd. It's been Todd eyes. I call it Todd Sharp. Yes. Yeah. He does a thing with that. It turns a, a ten inch speaker into a twelve and makes it have more power. And right. And I've a beat and a beat and a beat both ways. And that is uh, yeah. his little trick. He does is yeah. Fantastic. He modifies the phase inverter with the twelve in there, and it and it gives it yeah. A lot what more you power. said. Yes. yes. <laughs> Techno speak. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's awesome though. Yeah. It's It's that amp is a great recording amp and. Uh, but I got a, I got a bunch. That Standell, I don't know if you can see that amp is a, that's a 1951 Standell. Yeah, that's, that's got a 15 inch JBL in it. Paul Yandell gave me that amp. It was a, that amp had escaped and got up in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, and came back and Paul and I refurbished yeah. it, and it's it's a it's a brilliant sounding yeah. amp, especially for, pardon me, especially for loud and clean. You know, yeah. I used that on. Particularly that album I did called uh, uh, Guitar Laboratory and right. the tribute to Chet Atkins. I used that amp a lot because, for that clean stuff. Because that's the kind of amp Chet used for a while. That is the yeah. amp, exactly. Yeah. Chet had one that was white, mm -hmm. and, it, and they always put the nameplate when you had those made, custom made on the West Coast back in the day. And Chet's amp was made uh, specifically for Jimmy Day, the steel player. Right. And that plate, it's in the Hall of Fame, and that plate, mm -hmm. I played through that amp many yeah. times. But that's really the why Paul and I, he wanted me to have this amp and he made it for me. And But uh, yeah, Chet played through one. And Chet played through that same Standell through his whole career up until the end. He still was playing through that amp. He was still you know? recording through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, recording through <clears throat> it. On the road, he was using Music Man and yeah. mostly Music Man when I was traveling with him. Yeah. And, uh, I, I spoke with Brad Paisley yesterday also. <laughs> and, uh, and, and speaking of amps, one... You know, Brad, you know, wanted just to say how much of an influence and how much your kindness meant to him. And then also he said, make sure and ask Steve about the PV years. And of course, he's, <laughs> <laughs> was his, he was being funny because in the in the mid, you know, there was a, a time in the mid 80s where you were using a special well, 130s is what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah I used to. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably why I did. Number one, those are good amps. Yeah. They really sounded great. And yeah. number two, I think we were doing a lot of shows with the group Exile. Yeah. And, and J.P. Pennington, I think I copied him because he played through two. I think those were special 130s he played through. Okay. And I played through, I think I was copying my buddy J.P. Yeah. He always, man, they would do shows with us, and he would always come out, and their his tone was great. And yeah. Was, he did two stereo, and I thought, I'm going to try that, and I loved it. Yeah. And I played PV to T160 on my first album. I'm holding my T160 PV, yes. you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh. So uh, yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, Brad yeah. remembers those those, of course those PV amps, man. Yeah, because yeah. he was watching all the gear that you used through the years. I got one of Brad's. That's a Doctor Z back there. That's Brad's actually. I need to give that back one of these days, ah, I guess. So. He won't remember. I, oh, I hope he don't see this. <laughs> Pedals. 
What uh, you don't have your your board here today because it's it's out on the road. It's locked up but, somewhere. Yeah, it's there. locked. But uh, what what effects do you use? I use I have a pedal board. Uh, the guys at uh, XTS made me uh, yeah. uh, this pedal board, Barry and Nuke and and uh, Greg and those guys. But they made me a pedal board. I got a couple of their pedals on there. Uh, the Precision. I've got a Precision on there that's a exact tone. And then I got a let's see. I got a Zen Drive on there. Right now, and I've got, I, I use two delays. I've got two delays on it. Uh, one, one I have set at a slow, real slow, uh, and one fast and one slow, basically, so mm -hmm. I can you know, use my looper. And, so you can have your long delay and your slap yeah, back. Yeah, and I don't have yeah. to bend over and mess with it. So, yeah. and I gotta, I gotta have my TC chorus because it's the '80s, baby. You know, yeah. I had, that's yeah. my era. I gotta have some TC chorus. Yeah. And, and then let's see what else I have. I think that's about it. It's not an elaborate pedal board. I've yeah. maybe six six pedals or something on there. Tuner, of course, and uh, I think there's a some kind of little phaser probably on there. Phase ninety or so. Eighties. Yeah. A lot of my songs though, that's what I played on the record. So yeah. I got on my pedal board so what was on the record. Yeah, you know? be, being faithful and, yeah, and reproducing. Exactly. Them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But with a deluxe reverb now. With a yeah. deluxe, yeah. I don't. I probably never played through those on the records. I yeah. probably there's a twin back there. I probably played through that twin on my records more than likely. More than not, I played on that through that twin. I used to carry two blackface twins on the road. Yeah. Somebody's back's hurting today for those yes. things. JBLs. <laughs> Nobody needs that much power no, no. anymore. <laughs> you mentioned that you were working with Gretsch on a uh, on a on a new guitar. Yeah, I've been working about a year on this design of a new guitar. Yeah. And to be quite frank and honest too, Jeff Sin and my son Ryan are helping me with this design and we are we've been working on it a year and we are ecstatic about this. They yeah. just I got a prototype about three, four weeks ago. Yeah. And we're all jumping up and down. Yeah. We put this guitar through the mill between my son Ryan playing Led Zeppelin and Who and mm -hmm. you know and then I was I was doing the more Jerry Reed, Chad Atkinsy stuff, and so anyway, really thrilled about it. That it's, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know, I don't know when it's going to be announced and brought out, but we're, uh, it's starting to come to life, yeah. you know. So we just well, got a prototype. Yeah. Well, we understand we can't look at it, but we'll be we'll, we'll be watching and waiting. <laughs> it's like Spinal Tap. Yeah, us, exactly. Don't even look at it. Doesn't it sound great though? Yes. So yes. Listen at that tone. <laughs> listen to the sustain. Yes. The sustain. Yes. So uh, <laughs> now you also have some of Chet's guitars. Yeah, I was. Yeah, gosh, it's he was kind to to give me some guitars through the years and and left me a guitar and and uh, he gave me one guitar. He gave me a White Falcon many years ago. It was an '85 because I had him sign it for me and he put '85 mm -hmm. on it. So it's a White Falcon and I remember. I borrowed it one day. This is, you know, gosh, that seems so long ago, doesn't it? I was downtown and needed a guitar, and I called Chet, and he, Chet's the guy that I could call and go, hey, Chet, I need a, you know, he was yeah. like, yeah. So I go down and get this guitar, and uh, he said, well, it's a, it's a White Falcon. It's, I go, he opened it up the case, and it was brand new, had tags and everything on it. They just sent it to him in, uh, in 85. And so I took it to this rehearsal, and it was, it was, you know, I was, no, it wasn't a telly I was used to, yeah. but it got me through my rehearsal and I got back to Chet's office and he goes, what do you think about that guitar? And I go, well, it's cool. You know, he goes, he goes, 
I don't know. He goes, that's the ugliest, gaudiest guitar I've ever seen in my life. It had that big pad on the back and yeah. all that sparkle inlay and, yeah. and the gold. And so Chet goes, do you like it? And I go, yeah, it's cool. He goes, well, you can have it. He goes, I think that's the ugliest guitar I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gave it to me that day. And wow. I said, well, will you sign it? And he goes, yeah. yeah. And he said, good luck, good luck and good licks. Yeah. Steve, good luck and good licks, Chet, 85. And yeah. So anyway. That was yeah. That means a lot. He gave me yeah. a few. I got a few of his guitars. So, yeah. so you've got a a '54 Blackguard back here. Yeah, this is a '54. Uh, this is a this is. I've got a lot of tellies, as you might imagine, and strats yeah. too. But, but this this particular telly, and I don't even probably need setting up right now. But that's it's pretty much original. Most of it. Uh, I think it's like 99% original. Somebody somebody put one of those a plate on the back of it, you know, the little Oh yeah, the fat head. Fat head, yeah. yeah. And uh but it's a the this is my favorite of all my tallies and mm. blackguards. And it just it's you know, it looks like it's been through a couple wars, but boy, it it uh, is real spanky and real mm -hmm. real original. I do have a no caster that a, a lady gave me many years ago. Wow. She came to a show she actually emailed her daughter, emailed Karen, and said, well, I'm com we're coming to your show. My wife, I mean, excuse me, my mother has a guitar that was my dad's. And she said he's passed, you know, a few years ago. And he made clear instructions that this guitar has to come to Steve Warner. So they came to our show. Long story, as I opened up the case, I thought it was a, it was in a 70s Tolex case. And I thought, hmm, 70s telly. And I opened it up and I just, <gasps> yeah. I tried not to yeah. show like a poker yeah. face, but... And I and I the more I looked at it, I go, oh my God, this is an early example of a telly. And it was, yeah. The, when I got home, we took the neck off and looked at it, and it penciled in. It was TG one twenty three or two twenty three fifty one. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Tadeo Gomez. Oh no, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gomez three yeah. twenty three fifty one. Yeah. So every yeah. March twenty third, I go, it's the birthday of my telly, yeah. my nocaster. <laughs> Uh, and the the lady, uh, she made me promise not to divulge who she was and anything about her. She didn't want any praise or no, she said, any interviews. I don't want yeah. anybody to, don't ever talk about me, but my husband yeah. wanted you to have this. He yeah. bought this guitar from, he said, he, well, in her words, he got this guitar from Leo Fender himself is what she said. Wow. And she had gave me a booklet of pictures of her husband playing this guitar in a Western swing band. They were on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was pictures of him with Tommy Duncan from the Bob Wills Band right. and also with right. uh, Merle Travis. Wow. So he was around. Part of that he was, scene. Yeah, he was part of that scene in the 50s. You know, I'm not saying that that happened. That's what she said. And it's he was in the right place that it could be true, you know. That, that would and, have been uh, a time where you, you could have gone to the Fender factory at that point. And it, very accessible. Back then, just like Joe Glazer is yeah. now, you know, or was. And they, were, and they were really wanting to get their instruments They were out wanting there those Western swing guys to play and them. And that was what Leo Fender loved, so it you would got make it. perfect sense for Leo. I to went to lunch out. with Leo Fender one time. Wow. I had lunch with him, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I played the Crazy Horse in Santa Ana, which I know mm -hmm. you've probably been there. Loved yeah. playing. Fred Reiser is one of my favorite people. That was his place, the Crazy Horse, and we played there. I just love that guy. He, Fred said... We played it one night, and he said, how would you like to go? To, are you guys here tomorrow? And I go, yeah, we're staying all night. He said, yeah. how would you like to go to lunch with Leo Fender? And I've, 
my <laughs> jaw dropped. You know, it's like I'm yeah. such in awe of him. This would. Yeah. Uh, we went to lunch the next day. He took us over. We went by the GNL place and mm -hmm. and uh, met Leo for lunch. Unfortunately, he he was advanced in his Parkinson's, I believe it was, and couldn't speak real well. I want I yeah. had a thousand questions I wanted to ask him, and yeah. but we did. We carried some conversations on and. Uh, just had a great time and they got some neat pictures. My brother Terry and I went with Win. But I thought that was cool, you know, got to hang out with Leo. He wasn't yeah. around much longer after that, you know. Yeah. So Steve, thank you so much oh, for man. letting us in, in your home and, and for, for talking to us and uh, telling us some some great stories. What a <laughs> for thrill. Blabbing away. I got yes. lots of stories. <laughs> I guess thank that's you. why that was when you're an old guy though, yeah. right? <laughs> Thanks, Zach, for thank letting you, me come Steve. on. I loved it. Yes. Thank you. This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.